as we day after day would haul roll off dumpsters to the landfill you would open the dumpster and slide out you know item nothing magical probably 80 or 90 percent of it was indeed trash but you know 10 or 20 percent of it is like wow that's four perfectly straight two by fours oh my gosh there's two windows still in the original packaging when you know whether this is this is crazy so that was my certainly very visual everyday wake-up call to wow lots of waste in this country we call america Welcome to the Green Hour, a community of innovators, activists, and government leaders in the world of sustainability. Each week, you will hear from a leader in sustainability to help unlock your mind to a greener future. Hey guys, I'm Preston Pogue, and today we're going to learn about repurposing goods. In this episode, we explore the company Repurpose Materials, learn about the concept of repurposing, and dive into the environmental impact and benefits of this sustainable practice. Join us as we go beyond materials to discuss how repurposing prevents waste from reaching landfills and makes a positive impact on this episode of The Green Hour. If you've ever driven along the interstate, you've likely noticed the billboards that line the roads that showcase advertisements for fast food restaurants, energy attorneys, or maybe local attractions. However, have you ever considered what happens to these ads once they're taken down? While some unfortunately end up in landfills, others take a more sustainable path. When handled correctly, these vinyl sheets are repurposed into practical items like tarps, banners, and even materials for bags. This process highlights a practical and environmentally conscious approach to breathing new life into discarded products, offering a clear example of how sustainability can be integrated into our everyday practices. Our guest on the Green Hour has made a career out of repurposing materials. Damon Carson is the founder and president of Repurpose Materials, an industrial thrift store that operates across the US and its goal is to reuse existing materials from industry. Everything from fire hoses and barrels to brand new products that different companies might not wanna use. By acting as a middleman between companies, repurposed materials diverts millions of tons of waste from being landfilled. Sometimes referred to as a waste speculator or a materials gambler, Carson has made a career out of finding value in the discarded. Damon and his repurposing concept have been featured in such media outlets as the Chicago Tribune, CNN Online, the Dallas Morning News, and in Oprah Winfrey's magazine, amongst many others. Repurposed Materials is actually Damon's second foray into the waste stream of America, albeit with a very different and unique business model. Several years back, he and a partner grew a garbage hauling company in the Colorado ski resorts of Vail and Breckenridge, which they ended up selling to Fortune 500 member Waste Management. Think about all the stuff we toss out. How much of it could be used again? We often talk about recycling, but turning things into something else is actually a cleaner and better option. As you will hear, Damon suggests we all need to adopt a used mentality to shrink our environmental impact. 
All right. Welcome back to the Green Hour. Today, we are joined by Damon Carson, founder of Repurpose Materials. Damon, I, I told you before we started this, um, I'd heard your name early on from guests about you know people I needed to bring on the show because they have so much knowledge and um, the various topics, and your name kept coming up. And like I told you, it took 30 episodes, but finally I reached out to you and now, and now we're having this. So um, I, all I have to say is thank you so much for, for joining us today. Well, I'm honored to be a guest, so I'm excited to uh, hear your questions and how we can let you in on the world of repurposing the cast-offs in discards of American industry. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So every every uh, company has their, their story of how it got started. Um, and, and yours is no different. Um, but before we get into, you know, what, what, how repurposed materials was created, I want to understand how Damon Carson became who he is today. So, so looking more personal before we get into the business, you know, learning about, you know, growing up in Kansas in a rural area, what that meant to you, um, how that, you know, molded you into who you are today. So before we talk about the company, could we start off by talking about who is Damon Carson and how did you get to the point you are today? Sure. As you referenced, born and raised Central Kansas. Um, I think one of the things, and as it kind of overlaps with our company repurposing, I think the one industry, if I could say that, that has remained the most resourceful that I know of is that of the agricultural community, farmers, ranchers. You know, they are able to, you know, I have a fence that's broken. I can take this material. It's kind of like, Preston, you're probably too young by by looks, but the old show in the late 80s, early 90s was MacGyver. Uh, MacGyver needed to solve a problem on the TV show. He would take baling wire, a paper clip, and a piece of bubble gum and do something amazing with it. So that resourceful mentality, and as a, you know, a product of the Midwest, central Kansas, town of a couple thousand people, I grew up very much around that. And so, yeah, I mean, that was kind of my formative years and that resourceful gene that seems to permeate agricultural, small rural America is a lot of who I am and is what has led this company in particular to, you know, where we've reached. So, yeah, I love Damon talking to people who have a background in rural America because I very much do. I went to school in Eastern Kentucky, old coal mining town um, in rural America. I've grown such a love for it, not only for the area, but for the people um, and the people you meet and how much love they have for you, how much they just want want you to succeed. Um, so I love talking to people from from different areas of rural America. So it looks like, you know, you grew up in Kansas, you end up going to college, I think in Oklahoma. Um, and then after college, you you kind of found your way onto the ski slopes um, in, yeah. in Colorado. Um, I'll, I'll say this. I, I love Colorado. Colorado is one of my favorite places, both summer and winter. I haven't skied in Vail yet, which is where you ended up. I might need to make some more money before I go out there, but that's where you landed in, in Vail, Colorado on the slopes. So, you know, how did, how did you land in, in Vail and what was some of the work that you did um, when you were out there? So, yeah, I was a, I was a wandering business graduate with entrepreneurial interest, wanted to start a business, but had no clue. So, um, rather than get on in life. When a buddy asked, Hey, you want to go to Vail and be ski bums for a winter? You know, that looked like the easier route, the more fun route. So that's the route I took. I mean, you can, you can see over my shoulder. Here's a little, uh, ski, uh, ski area 
this happens to be the a directional sign from Winter Park, but I don't see I don't see Black Diamond on there. Yeah, oh, you know, well, you know that that tells you how what kind of skier I am. You know, I need a. <laughs> I, I heard the other day so I, I like to ski the double blues. <laughs> I, I thought that was pretty cute, but no. So I went out there, um, just had a retail job, just again to ski. One job turned to another job. I started getting into the construction industry. Uh, selling in a sales capacity. Some of it was actually working, swinging a hammer for a construction company. But what I realized real quickly out there was, you know, it was a booming economy. This was the mid to late nineties and back to, you know, I wanted to be a business owner. What do I do? How can I tap into that? Certainly as a young man in my mid twenties, didn't have money to do real estate development. I didn't really want to be in the tourism industry or the, the ski industry, the athletic industry. So one day in a, in a construction job, literally, I was sitting on the portable toilet and I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this, this, this is an interesting company. I mean, every permitted job site has to have a portable toilet and a waste uh, roll-off dumpster. And so very, very long story short, I called the owner of the company, found out he was, he was a small business. He was interested in selling and I didn't have enough money, but I partnered with another guy and we bought that little trash company. And that was my introduction into the waste streams of America. So before we get into that, I just wanted to touch on, I'd done a lot of research on, on previous um, interviews that you'd been on, Damon. And another, another part of your story was going into sales and how that kind of molded the entrepreneurial, the entrepreneur you are today. I mean, it really gave you a skill set to, to identify problems, to know how to, you know, sell sell your vision, sell your story, sell yourself. Um, so before I, I, I transition into that to to the trash company, could we stop just for a second and talk about, you know, you selling kitchen cabinets and that experience, and was that a success? Was it a failure? Um, and and what that meant for you? Uh, it was a nine month abject failure, is what I would say. Straight commission sales job. I think I was at the time maybe 24. Uh, my wife, now 26 years, who I met in Vail, um, likes to joke that when we started dating, I was living below the poverty line, which was, in fact, a true statement. I think, like a lot of experiences in life, what that straight commission sales job taught me was, and you know, to be honest, I did not do well at it. That's why I quit after nine months. It taught me, as it relates to business ownership, that I don't want to do a startup because in that sales job, I was not given leads. I had to go create my own sales territory. So basically, in essence, a startup. Um, and I emotionally, it was just so hard because so many days you would just have no well, revenue as sales, but your commission would be zero. And so one of my major, major takeaways from that was I needed to do an acquisition. I needed to buy an existing company versus doing a startup. So that was probably, in hindsight, my biggest takeaway hmm. from a sales job. Yeah, I've had I've had several entrepreneurs um, on this show. One in particular I can think of, his name's Ryan Smith, um, founded a company called Recyclops. I mean, what they do is they, they bring recycling to areas of the U.S. that don't have recycling infrastructure, which is pretty cool. But Ryan talks about how his story and his background kind of molded him into being the entrepreneur he is. Um, and his his thing was actually being a missionary overseas 
and how a constant rejection of you know trying to sell Bibles to different people and in a place where he didn't even speak the same language, how that molded you know the entrepreneur he became because he learned how to be told no. And it sounds like it's probably similar for you um, going in the sales job. It doesn't sound like it was so successful in the time, but now, I mean, you, you learn a lot of skills through that experience. I'm probably resilience, learning learning how to be told no and, and how to respond to being told no. Um, so, you know, you talk about the entrepreneurial journey um, and it sounds like everybody I talk to always has something from the past that they kind of lean off of and that's where they gained a lot of this skill set. Yeah, I think a lot of times you, as you look back historically on your life, you know, some of the, what at the time felt like a failure, which certainly selling kitchen cabinets felt like that. Yeah. You know, it actually, one thing leads to another and that failure can turn into opportunity or, you know, learning of a new skill, um, a character trait about yourself that you learn or discover about yourself that ends up being, becoming a plus, you know, somewhere farther down the line. So now that I think of it, I'd mentioned Ryan Smith. He actually did the same thing of, I think he partnered with somebody and then purchased a, a company. Um, instead of starting it, you know, from the ground up and, and being that startup. So it sounds like very si- similar, but different stories. Um, Ryan was a, a guest in the past on here, but off of that, we'll, we'll pivot and then talk about, you know, what, what this garbage company was. I mean, you're sitting in a, it sounds like a porta potty on a job site. Very, very unglamorous beginning. Very right? unglamorous. Right. I mean, is that, is that like a light bulb moment, like in the <laughs> porta potty, um, all, all the smells around? I mean, I, I can only imagine um, what that, what that looked like. I don't want to think about what it smelled like, but tell me a little bit about this garbage company in Colorado. Yeah. I mean, they had, as, as I recall, it's been a few years, they had about 45 roll off dumpsters and about 200 portable toilets. It was a small, less than a million dollar at the time. Of course, that was 25 years ago, less than a million dollars in revenue. And they just, they were liquid waste and solid waste. They served both waste needs on a, on these construction companies. And I think that's important to note. It was construction. The company that I bought was construction only. It didn't do residential garbage. It didn't do the big front end loaders. So it was just construction site, liquid and solid waste, as I as I indicated. And as we day after day would haul roll off dumpsters to the landfill, you would open the dumpster and slide out, you know, I don't nothing magical. Probably eighty or ninety percent of it was indeed trash, but you know, ten or twenty percent of it is like, wow, that's Four perfectly straight two by fours. Oh my gosh, there's two windows still in the original packaging. You know, this is this is crazy. So that was my certainly very visual everyday wake up call to wow, lots of waste in this country we call America. Yeah, Damon, it's actually interesting. I just thought of something actually from this morning. Um, I was in a, on a car ride with my mom, and they're building a lot of houses in my neighborhood. A lot, of, a lot of lots that are getting built up. And they're building these really fast. It's actually pretty impressive to see. But the one thing that they have a lot of is waste, a lot of um, a lot of just wood, of wood waste. And they just put in these big dumpsters. And my mom even made the comment this morning. She was like, this is just crazy to me that all of this is wasted. And she's like, this wood that you know could go into something else is actually going to the dumpster. And she's like, it just, it just blows my mind. And I was like, well, mom, I'm actually talking to someone today that repurposes materials. Um, so so it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, so I'm guessing from that garbage company, um, you, you learned some things. And then did you eventually go from that to repurpose materials? Was that the next step um, along your journey? 
Uh, no, there was a there was a big pause in there, about an eight year pause. Um, so just to put a bow on the waste company, we ended up selling to waste management. Oh wow! Um, so that was our exit strategy for that. Um, my now wife and three very small children ended up moving to what we call the front range of Colorado, um, along the foothills here, and we live north of Denver. Um, so I. You know, back to the story. So that's my, again, I call it my Reese's moment. As I, and again, I don't, uh, you're the interviewer, so I'll let you dictate. But so that was one piece of the big puzzle was that was the identification of how wasteful America is and how much usable materials there are that probably shouldn't go to the landfill. Hmm. So, you know, we talked a little bit about repurposing in the beginning. I just talked about, um, you know, in my neighborhood this morning, they're building houses and there's all this excess wood that these trimmings that are just, you know, they're just collecting. They're going to send them to, to a landfill. So I want to ask you, what is repurposing? If if someone was to come to you on the street and say, Damon, I hear you have this company called Repurpose Materials. You know, what? what is repurposing materials? What does that look like? What does that mean? Um, what would you say to someone if they asked you that question? Yep, I would, I would define terms. So we'll do it right here. So this is supposed to be a triangle, uh, the famous reduce, reuse, recycle triangle, uh, environmental triangle. So recycling is, if it's unwanted, let's chip it, shred it, grind it, melt it, and make it size reduce and make it a feedstock for, you know, if it's, if it's metal, we'll melt it and make something else out of metal. If it's paper, you grind it up. Um, plastic, you chip it up. So that's recycling. Reuse, another side, reduce, reuse, recycle. Reuse is a refrigerator, a forklift, and a boat. You know, if you're done with your, and you want a new boat or whatever, and you put it on Facebook Marketplace, Craigslist, and sell it, the next owner is going to, you know, the boat's going to stay a boat. The forklift is going to stay a forklift and the refrigerator will stay a refrigerator. They're very specialized assets. So that would be by definition reuse. It's just, it stays the same thing. It just, the ownership, the provenance to use an art word <laughs> uh, changes. Repurposing is a offshoot of reuse, but with repurposing, the second life is very different from life number one. So some easy, familiar examples is wine barrels, oak wine barrels that age wine one or two cycles. And then when they're done, you know, landscapers or gardeners will cut them in half, fill them with dirt and make planters out of them. So that would be a very different second life. So that would be an example of repurposing. Another example of repurposing would be car tires and truck tires. If you live in port cities or along major rivers, the Ohio River, Mississippi River, a car tire, you know, the tread runs out, so it's no longer good for a tire, but a tugboat operator or a vessel operator will use that as a dock or a fender, keep the boats from crashing each other, the docks, the piers. So Goodyear and Michelin didn't create it to be a dock, fender, dock bumper. It's just that would be repurposing. Life number one was as a car tire, truck tire. Life number two, very different. The repurpose would be as a dock, fender, dock bumper. So that would be how we would define the terms. And that would be my description of repurposing. Yeah, I, I hear this term 
And especially in the last, in, in 2023, I heard this term a lot, this term of upcycling. Um, and then I hear this, this term repurposing. And I'm trying to understand, are, are these words the same? Are they different? How do they connect? And I'll give you one example and then just ask, you know, maybe put you on the spot here and just ask if you could, you know, define what this, this project would be. Would it be upcycling? Would it be repurposing? Would it be reusing? I ran um, out of college. I ran a, a small indoor golf product company called Tour Links, about $1.5 million in revenue, top line revenue. And we made indoor putting greens, indoor training aids. Any, and you go on a cruise ship, the, the putt putt on, on cruise ships, that was a lot of that was us. And what I found when I started in this company was the turf that they were cutting to make these putting greens, there's so much waste from, from the cutting of this. Sure. Um, they were cutting a shape. Think of like a kidney bean shape out of turf, out of a big rectangle of turf. They're cutting a ki- kidney bean. All that excess on the outside is just going to the dumpster. And I looked at it and I was like, we're not only being wasteful, but we're losing margin. We're losing profit. We paid for this turf. Why can't we use it? So I created this product that actually went with our main product line of a putting indoor putting green. And use some of this excess waste and created these small, I think they were, they're four, four foot by four foot um, square pieces of turf that we created chipping mats out of. So these were chipping mats that you could, that you could move anywhere around the putting green and just get your short game in. So that, uh, to me, I always said it was upcycling, but I'll ask you the question now, since, since you're the expert on this, what would you clarify that as? Would that be upcycling, reuse, repurpose? What would that be? Wow, this is like a, a trivia show now. Um, yeah. I don't use the term upcycling a lot, so I don't have a really clear definition in my head. Mine that I always compare and contrast is reuse versus repurposing. I, if I understood correctly, I would say that was more of a reuse hmm. because it was still turf. It was still for a right. fake grass type application. So you didn't right. fundamentally, if you would have made a piece of artwork that you hang on the wall out of that turf, to me, that would have been a repurpose. But the way I understood your second project, that would be with the trimmings and the scrap, I I would probably put that under reuse. And then one, one other question I'll ask you, I know we're, we're kind of going off script here, but when you were talking about different examples, I wrote down a note, um, and I think this is just going to be recycling, but um, I do want to ask the question. When I was in Appalachia, when I was in Eastern Kentucky, a big problem in the the water streams, the waterways was people dumping uh, tires, old tires into the water. And it was just, I mean, I remember kayaking down a stream um, with some friends and just along the uh, the creek bank, it was just all these tires and it was just, it's awful. But what I learned is they created a solution for these old tires was actually shredding them up and then putting that into artificial turf um, for outdoor turf, you know, for soccer, football, outdoor recreation. Would that be considered recycling or is that, again, um, is that reuse? So I think you you use the magic word. They shred it. That yeah. goes along with chip shred, grind it, melt it. So they size reduced that tire. So I think that absolutely fits the definition, my definition at least, of that would be recycling. You hmm. size reduce it and then give it a second life. So that would be, I would label that as a recycling of the tires. Hmm. Okay, so that, that that's it for our trivia show. Uh, I just there's a couple of questions that just came to me, so I wanted to wanted to ask those. But now we understand what repurposing is, and um, we have a good idea. Um, now I, I kind of want to understand the environmental impact uh, and benefits of repurposing. 
I mean, obviously we can think about, obviously, I mean, if you have, you have waste instead of sending it to landfill, we can create a new life. But what is the environmental impact of repurposing something? So, yes, absolutely. So we have to understand, and we're going to lump repurposing in with reuse. I've already defined the differences, but it's really a reuse. It's just a different reuse. So we're, if you're in sustainability circles, we're familiar with the waste hierarchy. Uh, EPA's put it out. Lots of people reference it. And there's different levels, but the four standard are the worst thing to do with waste is landfill it. A little better than that is burn it. That's waste to energy. A little better than that, environmentally speaking, is recycling. Chip it, shred it, grind it, melt it, just like you referenced with the, with the tires. The highest and best use, environmentally speaking, with any waste stream is reuse. Let's not do anything to it. Let's just reuse it. So a refrigerator, you know, if you're done with it because you get a new Frigidaire and your other one's eight years old, but as long as it's still cooling, I mean... You just sell it to somebody else and they reuse it. Let's not take it apart for the metals and the plastics and grind it down because it still has cooling capabilities. Um, So repurposing because we're attached to reuse is absolutely the highest and best use of, again, cast offs and discards. Yeah, I'll say that I've worked in in manufacturing for my short, my short lived career so far. Um, but I have an idea of recycling and, and manufacturing and the difference between, you know, we're going to recycle the material and break it down, shred it into materials, and then hopefully take those materials and put it back into our production line versus waste to energy where let's take the old product and burn it and then capture that energy. So I, I've really enjoyed, you know, my time in the manufacturing industry because it's, it's taught me a lot, especially from the distinction of those two. But I do want to understand, and I mean, it it sounds self-explanatory, but understand how repurposing contributes to reducing carbon footprints and waste production. When you do waste waste to energy, I mean, obviously, you're going to have some um, carbon emissions from that. When you recycle, you know, you might have some carbon emissions from that as well. But if you're reusing and and, um, repurposing materials, I don't see even the word of carbon emissions coming into in, into play there. So you take you take I beams, steel I beams, structural steel could be used or could be new. But let's you know for the sake of discussion, say use they demo a building and they pull out a bunch of I beams, structural I beams. So and they're you know let's say they're straight and everything. So obviously to reuse them, you're going to sell them or find a second home for it that somebody uses them as again a structural I beam reuse. So what is saved? I mean, more iron ore is not brought out of the ground. Sorry, Eastern Kentucky, Appalachia, you know, we don't need more coal, you know, to to get the iron ore hot to make new steel. So um, you just, it is, it it still has structural integrity. It has value as is. So, you know, why go through the process and recycling a ton of energy? It's all usually electric. Uh, lots of electricity is used to melt down that I-beam. And funny enough, half the I-beams melted down, go to a steel mill. And guess what they make? Another I-beam. Mm. When you had an I-beam to start with. I mean, it's just, right. in a lot of cases, it's not very sensical. I, I've done a lot of work um, in the last probably year with an organization called the International Living Future Institute. 
And one of their big things is living building challenge. They create these living buildings that have to follow. These buildings have to follow a certain criteria for water usage, um, for sourcing of materials, for energy, for waste. I mean, all, all these different things. But one of, their, one of the things for living building, for your building to be considered living building challenge certified, is you have to reuse materials from an existing building. Maybe you're doing a new construction. And so I can, I can see that every day, just working with this organization, how prevalent reuse is. Because that's one thing in their their whole system of living buildings, reuse is one of the main areas um, that they have, which is pretty cool. So obviously, Damon, um, you, you had this you had this garbage company. You sell it to waste management, which is which is awesome. Then you have this eight year period. It sounds like in between, um, in between before you started repurposed materials. We have an understanding what repurposed materials are, the environmental impact. But now I want to go back. And understand this eight-year period and what was going on in your life, um, because obviously, I mean, I, I can I can see what you gained and what you learned from from the garbage company when you're sending everything to landfill. Like you said, you know, some of these some of these dumpsters that you would see, you know, had perfectly good materials you could have reused, but y'all are sending them to landfill. So in your mind, you you probably started thinking we can probably do something with this. But that eight-year period, you know, what did that look like for you? So we invested the proceeds um, from the from the sale of the trash business into several other business ventures, non waste related. So I, I mean, I continued to be a business owner. It was just non waste businesses, you know, in that eight year interim. So hmm. continued the, I guess, the entrepreneurial journey. Just obviously not hauling yeah. trash anymore. Right. Right. So um, then, then comes repurposed materials. Um, so I just want to do a deep dive on, on your company. You know what you do, um, when when this was started, how this was started, um, and then just you know the work that you do on a day to day basis. Sure. So the genesis, the start of repurposed materials, was very, you know, kind of out of nowhere. Kind of like it's not an uncommon entrepreneurial story. So. If the, my waste experience was the chocolate, I'm going to say the peanut butter. We're going to have a Reese's moment when <laughs> the ch- chocolate meets the peanut butter. My peanut butter moment is I, by personality, have a used mentality. This is my own statistic, but I would say 12 to 18% of Americans have a used mentality. So... You used the word reuse. You used the word earlier talking about the green buildings being reuse being prevalent. I would argue that that's not true because most people don't have a used mentality. They go to, so for example, I want to buy a bicycle to bike around the, the lake in my neighborhood. Most people, 82 to 88%, will go to Walmart, will go to Amazon, will go to the bike store. And buy a brand new bike to bike around the lake. You know, it might be a hundred dollar bike, it might be a thousand dollar bike, it doesn't matter, but they will buy new. People with the user mentality, as I say, 12 to 18% of Americans will go to a garage sale, they'll go to a flea market, they'll go to Facebook Marketplace, they will go to Craigslist to try to find a used bicycle um, and spend, you know, say 50 to 75%, because that's usually what you say when you buy used. And they will buy that bicycle to bike around the lake. So that is me by personality. I've never in my life, 
I'm in my early 50s, never owned a, a new vehicle. Everything I'm wearing today, everything in my wardrobe is used from goodwill. That's just who I am. Um, so I have what's called the used mentality. So that's the peanut butter. I had a guy in an unrelated business. He was a high-end airbrush painter. He was a subcontractor. And he was walking out of our building one day, and we were just making small talk. And he also works in the advertising industry. And he said, Damon, if you ever get a chance to buy an old advertising billboard vinyl, the big signs on the sides of the highways and interstates that say Budweiser, Chevrolet, Coca-Cola with a big pretty picture on it, that's just printed on waterproof vinyl. He said, Damon, if you ever get a chance to buy an old advertising billboard vinyl, they make a great drop cloth for painting. I mean, that was the Reese's moment. That's the chocolate met the peanut butter. My mind exploded because my two worlds collided. The waste stream of America and my used mentality is just like, oh my gosh. So with that insight, unlike the trash business um, where I acquired an existing firm, you know, repurposed materials was a start from scratch. I made two phone calls. The second phone call was an outdoor advertising company. Here in Denver, and I said, Do you have have any old advertising billboards retired that you want to deal on? And he says, I have 20 of them. I'll charge you seven bucks each. I drove to South Denver, and with $140, I bought my first inventory that became the start of repurposed materials. Hmm. So these these 20 billboards, seven dollars each, $140, these aren't the this wasn't the actual um infrastructure. These were just the old, I guess, vinyl billboards correct yeah so they were just folded up into you know about one foot by two foot they weigh about 50 pounds black on one side and when you unfold them it might be (laughs) a trial lawyer's advertisement it might be happen to be denver it might be buy your denver bronco season tickets yeah it's just a big advertisement printed on waterproof vinyl You, you took these 20 billboards this was the start of repurposed materials what did you end up repurposing those billboards or those billboard vinyls into Well, I didn't repurpose them into anything. I made them available. And what became quickly, our customers would use them as pond liners. They would cover a haystack with it because it's just waterproof vinyl. They wanted to keep water off their hay. They wanted to cover and protect building materials, firewood, etc. So, yep, that's how it started. After the billboards, it sounds like you, you gained a customer base. Um, obviously, waterproof vinyl, people people were interested in using that. After the billboards, did you did you start to find yourself buying more materials um, from other places, other industries? I guess I'd ask you the question, you know, where do you even go to buy, you know, buy bulk materials like this? Yeah, so I'm fully, full well admit, even though I made a big show about the Reese's moment when the chocolate met the peanut butter. I mean, I had zero grand vision that this would even become a company. It was just kind of a fun little side hustle. I would sell the billboards for cash. I'd go home to my wife, kids. Hey, I made 50 bucks today, 80 bucks today. You want to go out to eat? I mean, we didn't, we weren't incorporated. We weren't anything. We were just selling, you know, side hustling a a few billboards. About six weeks into it, um, this is 2010, September of 2010. September turned to October. And, you know, when a guy was coming talking billboards and we got to talking about rubber and 
I was Googling a day or two or six later and conveyor belt, conveyor belt that conveys rock, sand, aggregate, copper, coal. You know, what happens to that at end of life? And found a couple of rolls of that for sale here in Denver as well and put it out there and people started buying the used conveyor belting. So now I had two products, billboards and conveyor belt. Both of them absolutely fit the definition of a very different second life. So I was now Thanksgiving, November, driving back to Kansas to see family, driving along I-70 and my rural that you've already asked about. My rural is, oh my gosh, farmers, ranchers, they use old railroad ties as fence posts. They use oil field pipe to build corrals. Then it was became a business hypothesis. Are there enough byproducts and waste? Castoffs and discards that can get a very different second life that you can make a business out of this repurposing concept. So that's the first few months of how it started. And then we just continued to add and add and add materials to our inventory to get us to where we are today. So it sounds like at that point um, in 2010, you were specifically in the Colorado area. But I know now that you have warehouses, I think in different locations. I think last last thing that I looked at, it was in 2021, so it might be different now. But in 2021, I read an article that there was four um, warehouses. Um, when did, um, if you did, expand out of the Colorado area and, and where was that too? Um, so yeah, started as a single location here in Denver in about, I'd have to go back and look, 2013, we opened our first Satellite second location happened to be met Chicago land. Um, about a year later, we opened Atlanta in the Atlanta area because what we were finding very, very, very quickly is this com this concept resonated across America. Well, a lot of the stuff is big and heavy and a logistically intensive business to move these materials around, so we needed to spread out. So now in answer to your question, we have six warehouses across the country, Arizona, Colorado, Texas, Iowa, Ohio, South Carolina. If you would draw circles on the map around those six warehouses, we were, we are within a day's truck drive of the majority of the United States. So very strategic as in, so if we get a call from Minneapolis, it goes to Ohio. If we get a call from Boston, it goes to Ohio. If it, we get a call from San Diego, it goes to Arizona. So, yes, we, but that's the reason is just because, you know, it doesn't make sense to take it from San Diego to South Carolina. So, you're just adding tons and tons of costs. Yeah. And it's not very environmentally friendly to use that much diesel. Right. Yeah, it sounds like you're hitting every major region in the U.S., like right. a complete circle. So, what, Damon, what? do these warehouses look like? Because um, I can imagine if, if I'm just thinking, you're bringing in all these materials and, I'm, and I can just imagine it's almost like a big junkman's yard. Is that, is that kind of how these warehouses look? Well, I'd, 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 I'd put a little better lipstick on it. I, I would say they, you know, it's not Sanford and Son, Red yep. Sanford's, you know, it's not a junkyard. I, if you go look at it, it looks like a more like a lumber yard is what I would say. Now, obviously wood is a small part of what we do, but it's just organized piles of stuff. Um, but yeah, it's, it, you know, I mean, it is still, some of it stinks, some of it's dirty, but you know, there's a rhyme and reason for it. It's, it's, I wouldn't even say it's organized chaos cause it's not chaos. It's just, it's just 
organized, but yeah, it's just a big, a big, a big lumber yard is how I would characterize it for, you know, a visual image of it. And then in these six locations, how many people do you have working um, for repurposed materials? And also, I want to understand the, the freight equation of this. I mean, do you have your own freight? Are you contracting that out to pick up these different materials? You know, how does that how does that work between the freight and then and then your employees? So it's it's not an employee intensive business because you unload the semi, you take pictures of it, you count it, you describe it, marketing goes to work. And you know, two weeks or two months or six months later you sell it, then you reload it onto a truck or trucks plural. So it's not a logistically intensive business. So we only have two or three employees at each branch. Um, certainly here in Denver, which is where we're based. We have more, but that's our marketing team and our sales staff, et cetera. Um, but yeah, so logistically speaking, which I think was going to be your next question, I, when we started this and it started to get legs in 20, late 2010 or 2011, I thought, oh my gosh, you know, we're going to have a fleet of trucks because this stuff all has to move around. And I bought a couple of smaller stake bed trucks thinking, you know, we're going to be building the fleet. Um, what I, I don't know if it was quickly, but you know, within a year or two, I, I realized that the problem with our particular business is one day the call comes, Hey, I got something in Spokane, Washington. Great. We need a truck in Spokane. The next day I got something in Birmingham, Alabama. <laughs> so, I mean, it just makes, it makes zero sense for us to have rolling stock trucking. So we own zero trucks, zero rolling stock. We third party all of our logistical trucking um, needs because of just, you know, one day you're going to need them in Vermont. The next day, oh, I need a delivery done from Denver to New Mexico. Well, that truck's a long ways away in New England. And I'm, I'm curious because I, I've been looking at, you know, ESG reports and just people, how they, how companies track things. Do y'all track, and it's just coming to my mind right now, do y'all track how much fuel um, or like an average amount of fuel from warehouse to, I guess, drop-off site? So it's obviously going to be different, but just out of curiosity, do you have those numbers to where you know how much fuel y'all are using in, let's say, a month of time or a year? No, mileage is not something we track. That's actually an interesting idea, Preston. I mean, that could easily be calculated or miles saved by going from Boston to right. Ohio versus Boston to, to our Iowa warehouse. So no, that is not something. The only trackable thing we do is we weigh every load. We send on our company letterhead to every source company, every generator. Hey, your, your load weighed 23,000 pounds and we're going to keep this out of the landfill. 18,000 pounds are going to keep it out of the landfill. So the only metric we keep track of is in the, the, the tonnage, the poundage that we bring in and then obviously keep out of the landfills. Um, this last year, 2023, uh, I think it was 15, 16 million pounds we diverted oh, wow. from the landfills. Or, I mean, like structural steel, we didn't, I mean, in my mind, we didn't keep it out of the landfill because nobody would send structural steel. They would send it to a recycler. But what I, I think a better way to say it is we found the highest and best use for 15 to 16 million pounds of waste. Hmm. So, I mean, today looking at, I mean, obviously you said 15 to 16 million pounds diverted from landfill. Today, when looking at, at that number, 
um, in the materials that you, you know, you are repurposing, what are some of the main materials um, that repurposed materials is repurposing? I mean, we, (laughs) I use a phrase, we're asset agnostic, asset agnostic. So, I mean, some of our staples are turf from football fields, conveyor belting, billboards I've mentioned, you know, and I would even more broadly classify them as fiberglass, rubber, concrete, lots of glass, wood, you know, and within each of those, there's lots of, lots of variation, but a lot of things. And I think back to, you know, 2012, 2013, as I said, my hypothesis, hypothesis Thanksgiving of 2010 was, are there enough used materials that could get a very different second life? That was my, how we started. What I quickly learned, well, quickly over months, a few years is waste is much broader than used materials. In corporate America, waste is, we don't want it. Um, We used to sell red widgets. Now we sell blue widgets. We don't want the red widgets anymore because we don't sell red widgets anymore. Well, what's wrong with them? Nothing's wrong with them. They're brand new, unused. They're still in the cardboard box. They're still in the... So that's one thing that's morphed into into what we do is on any given day, and again, just rough rough math, I mean, I would say roughly half of our materials are new unused, but they were destined for a recycle bin or they were destined to the landfill. And as shocking as that may sound to some of your listeners, I mean, that's just how wasteful America is. Brand new unused stuff was, we don't want it. We don't know what to do with it and we want it gone. You know, so often it's called a roll off dumpster because that's cheap and easy and mindless, but certainly not very environmentally friendly. Yeah. I, I remember, you know, late or early last year, I was touring a recycling facility, very, very small. I'm in Dalton, Georgia, North Georgia. And I was walking around with, with uh, I guess he's the plant manager and he was showing me all of the inventory that they get in to, you know, eventually break down and recycle. And these products were literally, they were complete products that might have one tiny little manufacturing defect. And that was the only problem with them. And they were taking them in and then breaking them down, recycling them, and then using whatever material that they were made out of and then selling that off to somebody else. So I can understand that. And it it was just kind of mind boggling to me because I'm like, there's such a tiny little manufacturing defect and these companies are just selling them off um, and they're not going to use them. They're going to make more. But I do want to ask you, Damon, you'd mentioned turf from football fields. That's that's a product that you see a lot and that y'all repurposed. That was that was my former industry that I worked in. So I'm just kind of curious, you know, what were some of the applications that, you know, clients or customers would use with turf from old football fields? Yeah. So back to way early in our conversation, reuse, repurposing, I would say, I mean, you gave me an example of turf. Um, and I said, that's more reuse than re- repurposing. And I would say the majority of our second homing, rehoming of turf, I would say by definition, most of it is reuse versus repurposing because, you know, somebody uses it for flooring on a batting cage for baseball. Well, it's just, it's a grass imitation. So it's, it really isn't to me, that's just reuse. Um, backyards, we've got a playground and the kids play so much that it's, they've worn the grass out and it's down to dirt. Well, to me, that's just 
you want fake grass, which <laughs> that's what it was when it was on a football field. Um, so, yeah, I would say most second lives for turf tend to be more on the reuse side than repurposing to use strict definitions. And last last question I'll ask you on, on materials. Is there any materials that y'all have, have used in the past or that, that have come into your warehouses that someone listening might might hear and be like, really, you repurpose that material? How, how in the world did you do that? Is there any material that you can think of that that would fit that where people would be like, what in the world? How, how did you do that? Uh, yeah, there'd be a lot of those. <laughs> well, I will tell you, I'll, com- I'll combine that question with an earlier one. So you, you talked about your experience with just the slightest of manufacturing defects created the, or caused this to be obsolete, caused it to be waste to primary industry work. We're working on a six or seven truckload deal right now. This is crazy, sad, funny. Um, so Microsoft, the Microsoft, it was building a new building out in Washington and the architect picked a specific limestone out of my home state, Kansas. They quarried the limestone. They shipped the limestone to Italy to be made into these highly engineered panels. So it's a, it's a, it's a thin veneer of limestone, a composite middle and a bottom layer of stainless steel shipped all that back over a million dollars worth of materials it got back to the united states to the job site and the architect didn't like the color of the limestone and rejected it nothing was wrong with it other than it didn't meet the vision of the architect it got paid for it went to the subcontractor and it was supposed to be exterior panels. I mean, the facade, the, the cladding on the exterior of the building. And the customer just called us and says, brand new, unused, still in original crates from Italy. And said, you know, if you can't help us, this is going to the trash. And so we've moved, like I said, six or seven truckloads between our, uh, it's on, it was on the West Coast. So we moved some to Denver, some to Arizona. And yesterday we had a customer buy five crates of this and he's going to use it as decking or flooring on his backyard deck. So it's going to be a stone floor started out as a, as exterior cladding. And now it's going to be a horizontal application is flooring. So that's lots encompassed in that one little story. It's how wasteful America is. Waste is brand new, oftentimes brand new unused. And here this resourceful homeowner happens to be in Fort Collins, Colorado, Northern Colorado, is going to say, hey, thank you, Microsoft, for rejecting that because I have an unbelievably cool now deck flooring and it's a fraction of the cost of what Microsoft paid per square foot for that material. I mean, you said funny and sad. I think that that sums it up. I mean, I'm laughing when you're telling me that. Um, we, we know how finicky architects can be, but I mean that—that that to me is just wild. Think about the emissions that were that were created just from shipping that material back and forth. The cost of just shipping the material back and forth from Italy, and then Microsoft. I mean, they're such a large company that that doesn't even hit you know the the revenue that they're making. It, it doesn't even affect it. But it's just waste. It's so much waste and. I, whoever that homeowner is in Fort Collins is I, I'd be bringing over my neighbors and, and really flaunting flaunting what I had 
because that's really cool. And like you said, they they got it for a fraction of the price. But yeah, like you alluded to, that just shows how wasteful America is. I mean, if we're just focusing on the U.S. right now, just how wasteful we are. Um, And I think, you know, you started off this conversation on your Reese's moment, how your chocolate was was waste and how you worked in and actually owned a garbage company. And then the peanut butter is, is your used mentality. We need more people with a used mentality. I would say, especially in corporate America, because if I pulled up the numbers, I, I bet it would be striking about how much waste comes from corporate America. But if we just had more people with that with that peanut butter section of the Reese's, that use mentality, um, I think that we could really solve a lot of the waste problems we have, especially in the U.S. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, from an environmental perspective, the use mentality is the way to go. Now, that has a downside. If we all started driving used cars in Ford and Chevrolet. Nobody bought their brand new cars. That would be very hard on the economy. You know, if we didn't buy new fleeces, new tennis shoes from Nike, you know, so it's, I mean, it's like most things, you got to hold it in tension. I mean, the reason Nike changes their style every year is because they want to sell new shoes. It's how they drive revenue. And lots of people make lots of money off of selling shoes. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a conundrum. I, you know, it's, the one thing I do like, you know, as we're kind of wrapping up here, people often ask with repurposing, you know, does it make more sense environmentally or economically, which is kind of where we're heading in this conversation. And we like to say it makes sense both ways. I mean, it's just like the Microsoft, you know, they were going to throw it away at those limestone panels. They were going to throw them away. So it makes sense to indirectly Microsoft, more directly the subcontractor. We helped them keep a battle of the landfill. To the homeowner in Fort Collins, it makes amazing sense economically because, you know, that's 50 to $70 a square foot material over a million dollars worth of material. That's what Microsoft paid. And, you know, that homeowner bought it for $10 a square foot. Hmm. So does it make more sense economically or environmentally? Well, I think it makes sense both ways, you know, said another way. Repurposing is at the intersection of affordability and sustainability. And I think, I mean, the last episode I'm actually releasing very soon was with um, the vice president of climate action for Salesforce, Tim um, Christofferson. He lives in Denmark. And this is one segment we talked about. It was bridging the gap between economics and the environment and how right now you have to you have to bridge that gap and make it affordable um, if you're going to be selling something that is sustainable because people aren't going to. If you look at look at the the stats, people aren't going to pay a lot more money just because something is environmentally friendly. I wish I wish, but that's just not the world we live in. Um, so it sounds like this is exactly what that's doing. You're bridging the gap between the two. The last thing I'll ask you, Damon, is looking at the future for repurposed materials. Where do you see this company going? And is there certain materials that you're looking at in the future and saying? I want to get to the point where we can repurpose these types of materials. So continue to growth. You know, I'm not sure our geographic footprint is going to increase because again, we're within a day's truck drive. It's just, you know, to use a pipeline illustration, you know, four inch pipe, six inch pipe, eight inch pipe. You know, we just want to push more materials through the pipeline, um, growing our capabilities you know, a lot of the times it's just, we get this, I mean, we just did a deal yesterday. This is crazy. Um, so we got called by a death care industry company, death care industry, funeral home company. 
and they have these mausoleum liners. So it's a plastic liner, literally a dead body fits in them. And that's what slides into the mausoleum they covered over. And that's where the, the body rests for the rest of Christendom. Um, and they call us and they said, we changed something. We overordered. We have 10,000 of these liners that we don't want. 60 truckloads. And brand new unused, still in the original box. And so we took in our first truckload. Yesterday, it was crazy. Um, we put a, you know, we put a, something in our newsletter. One of our readers of the newsletter posted it in a Haunted House Facebook page. And we had a Haunted House company buy the whole truckload because mm. they were going to use them as props in haunted houses. So back to capabilities. So you, you ask what kinds of stuff do we deal with? I mean, so I'm dealing with limestone panels for exterior cladding and I'm dealing with mausoleum plastic dead body liners. That's how diverse our world is. But the common ingredient in both of those is it was unwanted obsolete to primary industry. So yeah, just growing more capabilities to, it doesn't matter. I'm sitting here in my office, there's a football. I mean, if we get offered 10,000 footballs, can we figure out where to rehome 10,000 footballs or, 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 or. So if someone's listening right now and they say, I really want to purchase something that repurposed materials has, or maybe someone's like, I want to sell something that I have this, I have a bulk of whatever it is. And I want to sell it to, to Damon and his team. Where would they go to do that? And, and yep. how, would, how would they do that? Yeah, so go to our website. I mean, it's repurposedmaterialsinc.com, Repurposed Materials Inc. But if you just Google repurposed materials, certainly we will come up. Yeah, and if they have, if they're a generator, a source, corporate America, and they have something to get rid of, it just send us an email, call me on the phone. And yeah, it's real easy. Send me pictures, description, quantities, and you know we'll give you our thoughts. Our thoughts might be, unfortunately, that doesn't fit us. It might be absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's any matter. And, and the flip side is most all of our inventory across our six warehouses is listed online. So if you want to be a shopper, a buyer, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, lots of, you know, it's slowly coming, you know, environmentally preferred purchasing, you know, you've thrown out a lot of good green words, but you know, counties, cities, they're starting to be customers of ours because they like to think, you know, that you think about their taxpayers. I mean, by buying something used or surplus, it's environmentally friendly. So you're getting kudos for that. And guess what? Anytime you buy used or surplus, you're typically saving 50 to 75% over buying purpose-built new. So hmm. yeah, so go to a website, um, find something you want, call us. A lot of the stuff you can just order right online. Well, Damon, uh, thank you so much for taking the time today. I, I learned a lot about repurposing and, and reusing, you know, how that all fits into the re reduce, reuse and recycle triangle. Um, and, and I'll say, I hope that more of our listeners have something similar in a Reese's moment that you did, um, because we obviously need more and more people like yourself in this industry driving change like you are. So, so thank you so much. Preston, I appreciate your few minutes. <laughs>